Turn in your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John. And boy, these kindergartners, they were beautiful. Just beautiful. Uh, how many of you remember when you graduated from high school? Yeah. How many of you, like me, were just thankful to get out, right? <laughs> that was me. I remember my senior English teacher saying, I shouldn't graduate you, but I can't take another year. I just can't. <laughs> and I said, well, I can't take much more of you either. So it's all kind of mutual. When someone comes to the Lord and says to me, what book should I read first in the Bible? I always steer them to 1 John, and I say, read 1 John. Because at the end of it, it says, these things are written that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Not that you guess, but that you can know. But in this is a statement that is literally fouling up America for God's people. There's a statement found in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start reading at verse 15. That's an absolute command from God. But because of the culture and the time in which we live, this statement is hard to obey. Listen to what it says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now please note those are absolute commands. It doesn't say don't love the world too much. It doesn't say don't love the world like the world loves the world. It's an absolute extinguishment of affection. Love not the world. In the measure that David gives is enamored or in love with this world, I'm violating God's word. But God says, not just the world. I don't want you to have any affection for the things. And boy, do we love our things. Now, boy, I just love that house. I just love that car. I love that diamond. I love that hunting rod. I... Now, what one loves, another one can't even understand but the devil knows just how to dangle things and to get our affection tied to them. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now that's a terrifying statement. God says you cannot set your affection on this world and have an affection for me. The love of the Father is not in him. Now, Brother Gibbs, wait a minute, I, I just don't agree with that. I love my things, I, but I think I love God too. That says no, no. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the eye, excuse me, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. How good are you at not loving this world? Now, let's be real careful. When the command is, love not the world, it's not talking about the physical world that God created and says it testifies of him. And we recently have had to drive a bunch because of my broken leg, and 
boy, we're looking at the Rockies and all the mountains and the deserts and the beauty racing back and forth across the country. And what a gorgeous place God made this world. And he says, it testifies of me. There's nothing wrong with you having affection for this world. That's not what this is referring to. Nor is it the people of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're commanded to love people. These precious ladies that got these degrees in counseling, boy, what a, what a difficult counseling field today that we're encountering what they have to deal with. We're commanded to love people. We can love the physical world. We can love people. We're commanded to love people. But the word world here is the world of what's going on around us. It's what we have happening here. And God says, do not set your affection on what's here. Now, sometimes when you're listening to the news, you'll hear this word. They'll say, and now from the world of sports, now from the world of the White House, now from the world of Congress, they want to talk to you about what's going on there. And God says, do not set one lick of your affection on what's going on here. That's a decision and a command of God. But the easiest way to get us to violate that is to get us to love the things we have here. Now, turn in your Bibles. I want you to go to another verse. Please go to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Now, the word conversation there is the word for your life, your lifestyle. Let it be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God says, I'm commanding you to have contentment with such things as you have. Well, Brother Gibbs, I'm not content. I want more. Please, if you're only going to hear one thing tonight, if you can't be content with a little, you'll never be content with much. And we live in a culture where they desperately want us to want more. But what you'll find is more never brings contentment. Now the command is do not love things. And the command is be content with what you have. A young man came to me a number of years ago. He was a good friend. His name was Bob. And Bob said, David, I got this idea for a business. He said, you think it'll work? I said, I don't know, Bob. He said, well, would you legally set it up for me? And we did. Boy, did his idea work, and did it ever take off. The last time I saw Bob, his monthly salary, take-home pay, after taxes, $2 million a month. Well, how many of you would like to try to budget that one for a while, right? When I saw him, I said, Bob, you're taking home $2 million a month. I said, wow, it's enough, huh? He said, no. I said, what do you mean, no? 
He said, David, I want more. You see, there's always a bigger house. There's always a bigger boat. There's always somebody who's got more than you. And so suddenly, you're not content with what you have. I said, Bob, this is a young man who knows the Lord. I said, Bob, how much would it take to be content? He said, I don't know. He said, here's what I know. I'll probably never be content. Contentment is a command of God. Be content with such things as ye have. Now, we live in a culture where it's all built on an economy of you got to buy more, you want more. You can't be happy or satisfied with what you have. You need a bigger car. You need a nicer car. Now you need an electric car. And it just goes on and on. And God says, stop it, stop it. Be content with such things as ye have. A pastor called me one day on a legal matter here in Cincinnati. And I went to the airport to meet him. And uh, it was a bad lawsuit. And when we went out, he had a brand spanking new car, beautiful car. And I said, boy, this is a really nice set of wheels. He said, yep, yep. He said, I just got it. It was given to me. He said, I've never had a car this nice before, never had an all-new car like this. I said, well, I'm glad you have it. And he said, uh, this car's a little bit of a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, I, I think I'm starting to love it. And that's forbidden. Now, no one had ever said something like that to me. I think I'm starting to have an affection for this car. By the way, you can tell when somebody's got an affection for their car. They park way out in the middle of nowhere so that nobody can dent it. They would rather you cut their skin than dent their car. He said, I think I'm starting to love it, and that's forbidden, you know. And I looked at him, I said, well, if you can't handle it, give it to me. I think I can handle it. <laughs> I said, I think I'm spiritually mature enough, and we both laughed. We did his case. I had to come back in two months. When I came back, he picked me up at the airport again, and he was in his old car. I said, where's your new car? He said, I gave it away. I said, you gave it away. I said, that was a beautiful car, fancy, wow. I said, why'd you do that? He said, well, when I dropped you off, I went back to the church, and we were in the middle of missions conference. And there was a missionary whose car was all broke down. They had five kids in a little car, and their car couldn't make it up the hill going into our church. And I said, God, somebody needs to get them a new car. And he said, that quick, God said, exactly, give them yours. And he said, no, 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 I'm not giving mine. No, 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 no. I love this car. And he said, I realized what I said. He said, David, did it ever dawn on you? It only hurts to give it if you love it. And when you love it, it kills you to give it. 
Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Brother Gibbs, are you saying we should give our cars? No, I'm saying you should be willing. Your car doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. Everything you possess belongs to the Lord. And stop treating it like that house, that jewelry. And by the way, if you're like me, we have so much stuff, we forget the stuff we have. How many of you ever tried to move and found all kinds of things you didn't even remember you owned? So you know what we do? We go out and we buy a little garage where we can put it in and forget it. Stop it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I mentioned to you that this morning in the message that I was in Asia in an extremely impoverished region where the people there didn't have money for shoes. They were poorly, poorly dressed, rags, really. And one family walked up to me and said, we walked 40-some miles to come to this meeting so we could give you this. And they handed me three $1 bills. And they said, please use this to save America. I said, you, you can't give me that. The pastor standing there said, Brother Gibbs, that's a month's salary to them. And I said, no, 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 the Lord put it on our heart. This doesn't belong to us, it belongs to the Lord. When's the last time you took everything palms up and said it all belongs to you, Lord? At the spot that we start treating it like it's ours, the devil has us trapped. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I love to tell the story of my law partner, Charlie Craze. He and I practiced law together for over 25 years. And I was in Washington, D.C., and I wanted to buy Charlie Craze a pen. Now, I'm a pen nut. I like pens. And I wanted to get him a pen, better one than I ever owned in my life. So I went to this exquisite, exquisite pen store. It's the store that gets all of the president's pens when they sign the bills. And I went there, this fancy, fancy place. And I walked in, I said, I'm here to buy my friend, 25 years, my partner, uh, an exquisite pen. And then I said something truly, magnificently stupid. I said, money is no object. <laughs> and you say, why did you say that? I just wanted to act big time. They said, oh, right this way. They said, we will take you back to one of our pen viewing salons. <laughs> I said, a pen viewing salon? I've never heard of that. Oh, they said, you're buying a lifetime writing instrument. I said, yes, yes, that's what I want, a lifetime writing instrument. So they said, well, come back here. And they took me back into a room that was unlike anything I'd ever seen. The floor, the ceiling, the walls were all carpeted in blue velvet. 
and there were twinkling lights, hundreds of them in the ceiling. And there was a table there covered with blue velvet. And then there was this chair. They said, sit in this chair. And the chair started vibrating. And a roller was going up and down my back. And they said, is this to your satisfaction, your comfort level? I said, oh, this is very comfortable. Yes, thank you. They said, would you like a cappuccino? I said, is it free? They said, yeah. I said, I'll have three of them, please. I thought, so this is how you do it. Man, I never saw anything like this. Immediately, somebody came in and he said, I'm the pen presenter. And I said, you're the salesman? He said, no. Our pens don't require salesmen. They sell themselves. All I do is present it. And he said, I understand it's for your law partner of 25 years. I said, that's right. And I understand you want something exquisite. I said, yes, exquisite. He said, okay, can I get you another coffee? I said, get me two more coffees, yes. He walked out, and when he came back in the room, what happened next blew my mind. He had a teak box about as big as a shoebox that was covered with gold trim. And the minute he walked in the room, the lights in the ceiling went boom, right down on it. And I thought, boy, beam me up, Scotty, how did they do that? He set the box down in front of me, and he said, this is the home the pen lives in. I thought, fancy little home, I'll tell you that. He said, now just let it soak in. He said, now open it. And when I opened it, the lights went boom again. Finally, he said, isn't it beautiful? I said, boy, that's some pen. He said, lift it up. And man, I lifted it out of the box. And I'm looking at it. He said, that's all real gold on there. He said, this is a lifetime writing instrument. I said, wow. I said, how much is it? He said, well, it's expensive, but your friend is worth it. <laughs> I said, how much is he worth? How much? He said, well, it's on sale half price today. He said, it's never been on sale before. I said, okay, how much half price? How much? He said, today, $19,000. I said, 19 grand? He said, I thought it was for a very good friend. I said, he's not that good a friend. <laughs> no, no, no. Whoa. I said, I got a question for you. How many of these have you sold? You tell me you normally sell these for $38,000 each? He said, yeah. I said, how many have you sold? He said, dozens. I said, you've sold dozens of these at 38 grand a pop? He said, yeah. How? Who'd do that? He said, all you have to do, Mr. Gibbs, is get them to love it, and they'll pay. Love not the world, 
neither the things. He said, all you got to do, that pickup truck, all he's got to do is get you to love it. That diamond, that house, oh, I just love it. And suddenly we're in love with things. I bought Charlie Craze, the nicest pen I ever bought anybody. Wasn't that one, I promise you. <laughs> and when I went back, I gave it to him. And I remember he unwrapped it. And you remember Charlie Preacher. He was here for a lot of your trial. And I said, Charlie, I got a bottle of ink for it. Let me go get it. And I ran to my office, got the bottle of ink, and came back. And when I walked in his office, he had the brand new pen I gave him in his coffee, and he was stirring it. <laughs> I said, Charlie, what are you doing? He said, I'm stirring my coffee. I said, not with, he said, I always stir it with my pen. I said, yeah, but not that pen. He said, David, it's only a pen. That thing that you think is so critical is only a thing. And one day when you leave this life, it will stay here. Not one of the things goes with us. Lester Roloff used to say all the time, I have never, ever in my life seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. He said, that's because you have nothing to take with you. Look at the verses again. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Tonight, I want to ask you a simple question. What would it take for you to say, Lord, everything I have is yours? Everything. It's not mine. That money the government sent, that tax return, that bonus, it's all yours. Because I belong to you. And God says, just make sure you have no affection tied to it. Because the affection there stops our affection for God. Well, Brother Gibbs, I, I think I can get around that verse. I, I think God will let me do it both ways. No, he won't. Notice what he says. He said, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Mercy. A dear friend of mine by the name of Carl Smith, was on his way to the mission field. He and his wife, Hannah, they're going to Africa. Sold out for God, went to Bible college, so excited to serve God on the field. And two days before they were to leave, all their things had already been shipped and packed. She came down with a debilitating disease and was bedridden the rest of her life. They had to stop going. Shattered their heart. They had wanted to serve God in Africa as missionaries. And now they couldn't go anywhere. She's bedridden. He and Hannah made this decision. God, if we can't go, would you please make it possible for us to send somebody in our place? If we can't be there, then please help us to send somebody to take our place. 
And their pastor said, Carl, God understands. You don't have to do that. He said, I don't want God to understand. I want God to help me send somebody in our place. And he said, what I'm going to do is start a little business in my garage and ask God to help me prosper it so I can send a missionary in my place and a missionary in Hannah's place. Now, he lived in Cleveland, Ohio, dead of winter. The garage behind their house was not attached, and it wasn't a concrete floor. It was a dirt floor, and it had no electricity. They had to run a cord from the house out to the garage. And Carl Smith said, God, you know engineering was my background. Please help me. Please help me. I don't want it for me. I want to send somebody in our place. And he fasted and prayed. Well, within six months, he came up with an idea. And the idea that he had was a military genius thing. He invented the system that lets frequencies change pace 1,800 times a second between aircraft so that it can't be intercepted. By the time I knew Carl Smith, he was in a large building, and one of the people in the building was a Christian radio station that I worked for all night going through school. And people come up to me and say, have you met Carl Smith yet? He'll be up here praying and serving God. And he's the only man I know that the military sent choppers. Choppers would swarm around that building, and then one would swoop down and land and he'd run out and get in it, and they'd take him off. And I asked him one day, where do they take you to? He said, well, I'll tell you, but then they'll kill you. And I said, I don't want to know that bad. <laughs> no, no, no. One day he came up by me, and I said, you started all of this so that you could send somebody in your place. He said, that's right. I said, did you succeed? He said, David, none of this belongs to me. This all belongs to God. He said, here's how we did it. We told God, if you'll prosper us, we'll give 90% and live on 10%. And he said, that's what we've done. And we started supporting missionaries. I said, have you supported one fully for your place and Hannah's place? He said, David, we now pay the full missionary support for 400 missionaries. Not that we give some, we totally support them. And I'm asking God to let us go to 700 next year. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. And I don't want to fall in love with it. He would sit there and talk to me. He'd say, son, be careful. This world wants you to love them. And this world really wants you to love things. Because if you can love things, the love of the Father gets shattered. Wow. Carl Smith, when he went home to be with the Lord, was supporting 850 missionaries full-time. 
giving 90% of everything he owned besides that. 800 missionaries. Because one man said, it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Tonight on this graduation moment, I promise you the devil wants these youngsters to love things. The devil wants me to do it. He wants you to do it. And remember, the test is really simple. It only hurts to give it if you love it. Boy, I know people, gracious Christians, but you talk about like giving their retirement or their 401k or whatever. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. That's mine. No, it's not yours. Every bit of that belongs to the Lord. And God says, I want you to hold it palms up. I want you to let me use you. When I asked Carl Smith, where'd you get the idea for this military stuff? He said, David, it was in the middle of the night, fasting and praying. And I told God, if you'll give me something, I promise you I'll use it for you. And that's when God did it. What would it take for you to say, here's my stuff. I give it to you, Lord. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Adrian Rogers, a great Baptist preacher of yesteryear, when he talked about the Ten Commandments, said, never forget, the last of the commandments is covetousness. Covetousness is wanting and desiring what you have no right to. It's not yours. And covetousness can only be destroyed and put to flight by contentment. Content with such things as we have. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Bow your head, Father. We're watching our nation unravel. We're watching wonderful churches unravel. And God, by your grace, by your power, we want to show this world what an obedient Christian is. Not loving things. Not loving this world. We live in such a spoiled culture. God, the life I live, the life these dear people here live, the rest of the world can't imagine. But God, we're going to obey your command. Now still remember that preacher saying, it only hurts to give it if you love it. When you decide you don't love it, it doesn't hurt anymore.